0: No bullshit.
1: No oh bullshit. Hoping, let's just did breaking this double or bullshit. No more bullshit. No bullshit!
0: Gary. He's the pipe major for the Metro Detroit Police and Fire Pipes and Drums. I've learned to call him my very dear friend and I've come to know him through too many funerals of those who serve. Those that forget the badge. Those that come when you call a perfect stranger today, that's who we honor—the fallen in nine eleven. Not only the civilians, the firefighters, the police, the Port Authority police, the soldiers, the Marines, the corpsmen, the sailors—all of you have given. I, today, uh, I'm a man, but today I feel like an old man. And I would say to you, young people, listen to me. You have a responsibility to each other. You don't even have to honor that. And when you don't, there'll still be somebody substantial to catch you. Be one of them. Today, I want to get you in and out. I'm sure all this is going on CNN and Netflix and all that. I just, anybody that knows me knows it was a turning point in my life, in the life of this nation and this world 20 years ago. And I would, uh, my friends who make it possible for me and we to bring this to you, I'm sure they will understand if I just casually but emphatically mention their names. Our friends at American Coney Island, Grace Karos. it's called American for a reason. Thank you for your support, downtown Detroit, at Lafayette and Michigan Boulevards. My friend, Luke Nowacki of Pinnacle Wealth. He'll help you look out for yours. Luke, thank you for your friendship and your sponsorhood. ADR Consultants, if you can't get it done alone, they'll help you. I think we've all learned that. Barry Ellen Tuck, thank you, my brother, for your backstop. David Hall Mortgage. Remember, a tree without roots is only a pile of wood. And your roots are your home. Take care of your home. Take care of your people. If you have any questions to your home, go to David Hall Mortgage. You have my word on that. Thank you all. 20 years ago, some murderers hijacked some airplanes and slaughtered my neighborhood. That's what they did. And instead of me sitting here crying and befuddled and stepping all over myself, I made a little film with Byron Goggin, who now works with us, a fantastic photographer. He's been around the world. And uh, let's just play it. Nine Eleven. Yeah, I remember I was. I definitely remember where I was. Never forget it. Ever. The day started out, it was election day in New York. They had come up with this new funding four public dollars for every dollar that you raised. So it was going to be a zoo. And I remember being at the New York Times looking at that coverage out of Florida thinking, you did every story except the working man story and what would that story be it'd be the voting booth mechanic the guy that's got to sharpen the pins that pokes the ballot that doesn't create a hanging chad so i figure why don't i do that guy in new york there's going to be an absolute zoo so i arrange it i'm going to meet board of elections voting booth mechanic lower brooklyn and i get to the parking lot in front of this school and you look up across the east river A little before nine, September 11, 2001, and the North Tower's burning, and we look at each other. and He says, must have been a little airplane, a Cessna hit it. I go, yeah, you know, that one's happened in the Empire State Building long ago. And as we're watching it, because we're not in any hurry at this point, the South Tower gets hit. I, he, the principal, his bosses, everybody knew that wasn't no Cessna. You knew what that was we were attacked so we go into school and the principal locks it down our cell phones aren't working the number you hit, completely dead the number you hit, the don't number work you the you I get in the car for some reason he's in tow and we stop at a deli a Korean deli and the guy's been watching TV and he says uh, bad day for America I said yeah you you from Korea he said yes sir I said you're our friends. Bad day for all of us. I got on the uh, transport with the uh, National Guard, and they took me into Manhattan. I got off the bus. There was dust everywhere. It seemed like there were 10,000 shoes. Just going north. People had just run out of their shoes in fright. It was just covered in like this Funeral dust. I was so quiet. And I spent that whole night carrying buckets around, trying to help find people. Cause again, there were no National Guard, there was no recovery, there was no unions. It was just substantial people running there. And the iron workers, they brought their tanks, they brought their torches, they brought their goggles. And they went into Brooks Brothers. And they took the camel hair coats and the fedoras and they were wearing them to keep warm. It was just, it were dressed like businessmen. And they trying to cut through this iron. And it went like that the whole night. Sad, you knew. nobody coming out. And in the morning, I had to get to the Times on 43rd Street where the ball drops for New Year's Eve. Give them my notes because there's no way to get a hold of them. And by the morning, these very substantial people took it upon themselves. Anybody with a badge was holding perimeter. <sighs> FBI, firemen, cops, Everybody sheriffs, you, you name it. You had a badge, you put it on a chain, and you're directing people, and people listen. Because that's what happens in real times. Real people do things, and real people know who leaders are. I went to Danny, who's the head of security at the New York Times, and I said, Danny, Let me get your badge. I need it for down there. And he gave it to him and weeks later, he went to give it back to him. He said, no, you keep that, man. Well, he's kept it. Danny, 202. So I put that on the the chain and I went back and forth. And it was uh, this weirdness. Anyway, you go in there, it's burning and nobody's in charge. I didn't see a doorknob. I didn't see a urinal. I didn't see a desk. I didn't see a human, except those trying to dig around flames, trying to find them. Everything was pulverized. We were breathing in porcelain and metal and humans. And thousands of pieces of paper were floating everywhere like seagulls, like doves, just drifting. It was gone. Women crying coming up to me, looking for their niece. Said we had gotten in a fight last night and now the phone doesn't work and I, and she's crying and I hugged her. And when I looked up, there was like five TV cameras on us. It felt like rape. It was so invasive, it was like, what is this? A fucking TV show? This isn't a TV show. And those substantial men with the badges started getting it ordered, where anybody that came down to volunteer, you were you were in a pen, and they were dividing you up for where you should go, and you know, getting gloves at this time and a mask and the, and the pails and and I remember you wrote your blood, your name and your blood type on this arm, Laduff. A-B positive, and you wrote your phone number on this arm in case you fell through and you died. And they're all lined up on West Side Highway. Ambulances, fire trucks, construction workers, look, nurses. And then I knew it was, the, it was our country. It was the biggest crime scene that I ever witnessed. And I wanted the fucker that did it. So as the New York Times, I covered Ground Zero for that year, but I also covered dozens of firefighters' funerals. I also covered the Squad One firehouse in Brooklyn that lost half its men that terrible morning. And through the course of this year, I wrote about the dead, their living brothers trying to find them, their widows, their children, to me, heroes all but just substantial people getting on with the pain of living in the backdrop of this nightmare. So it was very difficult for me because, why is it about me? It's not about me. Let me tell you what it was about. I would write that stuff in real time about Dave Fontana, firefighter Dave Fontana, his widow, his child. His friends at the firehouse, Sean Cummings was was uh, one of the guys who was supposed to be working that day, but he had he had swapped shifts. Uh, about Steve Siller, about uh, Eddie Diatri. I think this I I didn't practice this. I just I just think that's correct. And I was writing about Sean Cummings, who I don't know if he would say it. But in my estimation, he was the main search and recovery guy because this was an elite unit. He was trained for rescue in tight crevices and hard spaces. Imagine a tenement on fire and he's got to find your child under the bed. That guy. And we got, I don't want to say tight, but we got kind of close over six months until eventually we met in a coffee shop. And he said to me, Look, I'm sick of the hero worship. Everybody that wears a badge is not a hero, and every hero doesn't have a badge. And that's pretty much all I got to say about it. And he walked out of the coffee shop. And I don't think we ever spoke again. It was almost 20 years ago. And then he got a hold of me this week. And here he is. Hey, Sean. How are you, Charlie? Ah, uh, brother, I, I, I guess I'm blessed, man. Where have you been? Where did you go?
2: I was everywhere. I had, uh, as you know, at then uh, in Squad One, um, I was going to Rescue One in January of uh, 2002. Um, I spent 14 years there. Um, then I got promoted, went to Fire Marshal, and about five years there, and then. Got retired on nine eleven uh, disability in June of two thousand nineteen, and uh, that was that. Did a uh, army, uh, being a paratrooper in the army way back when. Um, after a couple of years, I felt I wanted to do a bit more. I felt a little bit of guilt, so uh, back into the army. Uh, went overseas to Iraq, oh six, oh seven, spent a year over there, and came back from that finished up. I retired out of the military. I did 22 and a half years in the military here. And uh, that's an estimation of the last 20 years or 19 years, I guess.
0: A doer. Okay. Look, I I got a really good eye when I'm doing my business and, and I knew when I saw you then, who you were. Am I incorrect? And I'm not, look, there was a lot of Okay, can i I'll call you a hero for shorthand, but a substantial man who did work. How many hours do you think you spent, not, not like me, looking on top and writing down, you were under the pile where it was muck and dust and fire. How many hours underneath the pile of ground zero do you think you crawled around?
2: Um, They have the... And my hours, when you go for your World Trade Center medical, um, over a 1,000 hours. So. In it. a 1,000. Down at the pile, yeah.
0: In it. I mean, not down at the pile sitting around. Let's be honest. A lot of guys were getting overtime. They were eating sandwiches. They, you know what I mean? Not the majority, but you weren't that guy. What were you well, doing? Tell me about night one.
2: Well, squad one. Uh, was in Brooklyn. So, and, and one of the reasons we spent, the guys from squad spent a lot of time there was our firehouse, we'd lost 12 guys. We lost both our trucks. So we had nothing. There was nothing in the firehouse to do. We couldn't go to fires. But day one, I was at home, planes hit. And um, it's funny, I had been previous, uh, which is, I look back at it now, Previous year, I'd been to Saudi Arabia, um, Operation Southern Watch. And I remember walking around the base and taking photographs. It was bin Laden construction. And a lot of people hadn't heard about bin Laden, but I knew about him and, and terrorism. Um, being in the military, I follow that. So 9 11 happens. I was getting, I had to, I was supposed to work Monday night, Tuesday day. So Monday night, I had, um, Steve Stiller from Tunnels to Towers. Steve worked for me, and it was, it was a roundabout, a three-way tour. Steve owed Pete Carroll a tour. Pete Carroll owed me a tour. So Steve ended up paying Pete to pay me. And Pete Carroll worked for me on the Tuesday. So both of those guys, as we know, both died. Um, and the hard thing for that for me was the nine kids, the nine kids between them. And that was a hard one, but we go into the firehouse. This is all unknown that morning. So we get to the firehouse, we grab our gear. We're jumping in one of the guy's trucks and a communication truck pulls up outside squad one. So we jump on the truck. It drives down, you know, Brooklyn, we get right on Flatbush Avenue. We're heading straight down in. Cops are giving us a, an escort. We're on the wrong side of the road. And just before the bridge or coming over the bridge, I believe the tower, the second tower had come down from the time we had, we left the firehouse to get in there, which didn't take us that long. I pull up and this is the, the, I remember pulling up and walking in and uh, it was like you vanished into this dust, this, this, it was like a movie. You do, literally, you walked in, vanished. And one of the first things I saw, it was a, a fire engine on fire and there was a guy there pulling hose off the engine and he's like come on guys give me a hand we can put this fire out and i think the shock he just didn't see the picture we were seeing coming in and luckily two of the guys were able to get beside him and walk him out and say brother come on we're going to walk you out this way so we go in and as you described it's it's (laughs) you <laughs> can't even describe how it was. Um, we were together as a group and we, we joined other guys. And I remember one, one of the first things we did was we went to build them four and five because we come in on that side we of of the pile. But I remember going down, we went downstairs and it was on fire downstairs and we found there was a man there. So we ended up uh, trying to get him out, dragging him out. And, and I remember there was ammonia gas spraying. It was the weirdest thing. And I'm firing. The building's still falling down around us. And I remember we're trying to drag this guy out. And uh, there's a chief there. And he orders everybody out. He said, guys, everybody out. This place is going to collapse. And I, I was there with my buddy, Jimmy Lopez from Squad. And Jimmy now is in Rescue Cho. And uh, we, we both sort of looked at each other. And we asked afterwards. I was like, why didn't you leave? And he goes, well, why didn't you leave? I was like, I wasn't going to leave. (laughs) It was more like if you'd have left, I'd have probably left. And I think at that stage you're there for each other. But we eventually got this man out. I remember his legs were broken. I remember we're we're dragging him out and he's moaning. And and I was so afraid. I, I really thought, and I think it's the only time in my life where I thought I was going to die. And, uh, I remember dragging him across. we were dragging him across these these the rubble, and I go shut the fuck up. And it was just pure nervousness. And I remember afterwards saying to the guys, I said, "Oh, I'm going to be in trouble for that now." Cursing not a civilian. It just shows how even I wasn't aware of how big this was. But then we come out of there. We put him in an ambulance. Um, he was alive when we put him in the ambulance. I never found out the man's name or. If he lived, I hope he lived. And then we worked our way around to the far side of the pile. We got round. It took us a while. As you know yourself, it wasn't a walk around like Manhattan. And that was the hardest thing. I had worked down there for years. And you're looking at, uh, you're seeing it with your eyes, but your mind is telling you this is not what you're looking at. It was the weirdest thing. So we walk our way down front of 10 engine, 10 truck. And we get to the West side highway and we found squad one's trucks were going through the tunnel and, um, wrecked. The, the trucks were wrecked and that sort of became where we all met. And if you were alive, you wrote your name in the dust on the truck. Um, so guys would know you were there. And so that we moved on that day. Then we're searching. We were and it was only afterwards when I saw the movie. I remember we're down under the pile. And, you know, the Port Authority cops that were trapped. I remember hearing those shots going off, but we couldn't get through. And it was only when I saw the movie that I remember that. I'm like, because I remember talking to the guys like, we're assuming at the time it was just bullets going off. But um, it was actually those guys firing. Again, we came out of that. We did, <laughs> It's funny, we're in Building 7. We're in there fighting fire in building seven when we get pulled out of building seven. And uh, it, you know, around five o'clock, I guess it came down. So then the evening, the chief spoke to us then, gave gave us, uh, I guess, pep talk um, about what this was going to be. And I remember them walking up on the pile later on, um, Paul Stallone, Jimmy Lopez, the three of us, after building seven came down. And it's the eerie of silence. It was just quiet, except for the pass alarms. Now, a pass alarm, as you know, it's the alarm that's on a firefighter's mask. And if he doesn't move for about 30 seconds, it starts to beep. It starts to give a tone. And it's designed in the fire to help fire, find a firefighter. You could just hear these all over the pile and you couldn't get to them. You just couldn't get. And, and I remember then later on that when you said the, the iron workers came, and they call us over, and I'll never forget this. There, this. there was this lady lying over a beam, literally lying over a beam, and, and she was this young black woman, stark naked, like the clothes were blown off her, but her body was intact. It wasn't damaged. It, I guess the concussion. And I, to, right in my mind, I can see this right now. That this lady on this, and um, it, it just was. It, it, it was overwhelming. I guess. And, and it was too much to take in. It's only afterwards you start to think about it and you digest it and break it down. But then later on that evening, and I remember this was, was funny because I would say about 12 or so at 10.30 that night, I remember we found this lady on West Street and she was caught in the beams. And the body started to have a sweet smell, like a, a nearly almondy smell. And that was about 12 hours into that, into the whole um, operation. Then, of course, first night, we're there doing what we can. And I remember being on West Street all night through. Um, in the morning, the next morning, the 12th, sitting there and watching the sun come up. And where the towers would have blocked it before, seeing it. And I remember thinking, this is really the great light of dawn. So that's roughly the first 24 hours
0: at it. Let me say, let me ask. So much to, I don't know. When you feel like, what, what is the sensation when you feel like you're going to die? This this is it. Is it calm? Is it frightening? I I,
2: I was, I, and I said I'd been in Iraq and there was a couple of things in Iraq, but I never felt that. And that was the only time. And I think it was having like there was four of us there, three guys from squad and a guy from one nineteenth truck. And I think it was because all of us were there. Like we got strength from each other, if you know what I mean. And like we, no one was going to break the four of us leaving, if you know what I'm saying. It was like as long as we stayed together, we were okay. And I and I just thinking, okay, this will be it, but we're doing something good. We're trying to do something good. So I guess that was the feeling of that,
0: isn't it? There's no there's no fright. I think it's adrenaline when you're you're trying to do something good when you're trying to help somebody. Isn't it, isn't, it really isn't fear. Is it? Uh, It's yes. I
2: guess it's, it's probably fear, but the adrenaline takes over. And I think just having the three guys, with you, we got strength from each other, you know, we all looked at each other and we didn't burst that bubble if you know what I mean. And we said, okay, well let's get this man out. And if, if we die, then hopefully not and we get him out and and if he lives it's a good thing and hopefully he did live and and went on you know lived his life for his family.
1: Sean, before- can I, how long was it before you actually put your head on a pillow to rest and what was that like laying your head down for the first time after all of this?
2: A, a great question. It was um the the day after. Um some guys went home um that evening, but what happened was we spoke and said, "Okay, some guys are going to have to go back to the firehouse. There's going to be an awful lot of wives, mothers. They need to know. No way could I do that. That's where I was a coward. I did not want to go back and face these women. This I would rather stay there and dig twenty four seven. So some guys went back that night, and it was mostly the senior guys who'd been there longer, who knew they would known them, have known them better. So they went back and they had phone duty, which." I still, to this day, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't be able to do that. I can work and do that. So the next morning, um, guys came back and they said, listen, this is long term. This is going on. This is not ending today. Don't worry. You guys need to get back to the firehouse. So we went back to the firehouse. They said, okay, everybody get, go home, see your family. We went back home, um, saw our families. Then straight back into the firehouse. And here's the great thing about the fire department the retired firemen all showed up at their old firehouses to help. Like they did the basic things that need to be done the cleaning, the taking care of it, the handling, because the firehouse became the hubs for the families to come to. So they all showed up there. And again, and then uh, I don't envy them this job, but they did a great job. But I remember it was a captain there, an old captain from squad. And when we walked in, he's like, guys, go upstairs and lie down. We got this. You guys go lie down. You're going back in there this evening. So, and I guess um, clearer minds prevailed, or more mature minds. And they, they were looking out for us. To, they were seeing things we weren't seeing in ourselves, I guess. Because, so we go lay down and go back in there. And uh, that would be, you know, that's how we did. We just dig and... Then I told Petey Carroll, um, who was my 24 partner, Petey died. He works for me on the 12th. I'm sorry, he works for me on the 11th day. But we found him the next day, the next evening. We found Petey. And um, so we actually had a funeral um, with him, um, his funeral. So you we were at the pile. We, As I said, we didn't have fire trucks. And um, so we were at the pile. We were at funerals. Um, and then we we got a rig because I, I remember it's actually one of the it's funny one of the guys who was with me, um, one of the the four of us that were there, and I won't mention any names, but we went to one of our first fires after nine eleven like a regular fire, and we get there, and he stepped into a hole, and it frightened like not bad. He just stepped down it, it dropped, and um, that was it. He went back to the firehouse and never worked a day after that.
0: That was before before it passes from my mind. Can you can you tell the people listening about about Steve? And absolutely okay.
2: S- Stevie Siller was Stevie was a great guy, awesome guy, and uh, tough, tough, tough fireman. I, I mean, I. It, Nobody else I don't have to tell that to people. I mean this man, Stevie had worked for me the night before and he was going home to play golf with his brothers. And um so he dropped me in his car, had his gear, and the towers got hit. Stevie parked his car, ran through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel into the towers with his gear, with his gear, ran through and got in there and unfortunately Stevie died. So Stevie, and, um,
0: Stevie was driving home, heard it, turned around, drove back to the firehouse, got his gear, went to the tunnel. The authorities had already closed it. He grabbed his 60 pounds of gear and humped it underneath the New York Harbor in time to meet his death in the Twin Towers. No questions asked. No. What, what,
2: what about Eddie?
0: What about Eddie D'Autre? He was okay. sleeping, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about Eddie now. And cause I said this at the time, we have bunker gear and our bunker gear used to get cleaned every six months, give or take. So our gear had been cleaned. And, um, so, and on the racks in the firehouse, everybody has, you hang your gear, you have your own area. Eddie was the officers. They had a little section, but Eddie's was right next to me. Um, Eddie was a very solid guy. Um, we'd be about the same height. And I get in, I couldn't find my jacket. And um, I, I didn't understand why. And and I'll explain to you, I know what happened to my jacket. Eddie ended up grabbing my jacket because what happened was guys, when they didn't have that, they just grabbed a jacket that was there and put it on. And how I know this is we found what we thought was Eddie Diatri. We found the bunker coat because, you know, we have our names on the back of the bunker coat. And it said Diatri. Now Eddie had tattoos on his arms, so we actually found him. And I went, I, I went with, with, with what was um, what was left of the body to the morgue. And uh, I remember with the doctors, they opened up the the bunker coat. I mean, there was no bottom. the The, the head was gone. It was just what was, was in the bunker coat, and. Um, Open up the bunker coat and I stayed there because it was our captain. I was going to be with him. So the doctors asked some questions. Our, it was the captain, but we thought it was Eddie. We thought it was Eddie Diatry. So the doctors get the, the arms out and I said, he said, was there any marks? I said, yeah, Eddie had tattoos on his arms. Now I didn't know this till then, but the bodies, the tattoos, the top layer of skin will come off a body that's been dead so the tattoo look will look brand new underneath and he he shows the arms and and, uh, i remember scrubbing the arms and he goes this man was never tattooed and um it it, it was was hair and i remembered the the color of the captain's hair uh and uh i said he's like who could it be and then it dawned on me the coats Eddie would have reached and got my coat. So Captain Amato, who'd been working, he would have grabbed Eddie's coat. And uh, oh, just we went, went down the line. So it ended up being Captain Captain Amato. But, uh, uh, uh,
0: so. Where'd Eddie live? Staten Island?
2: Yeah, Eddie lived on Staten Island. Let, yeah, me, he was let, me do Eddie-
0: let me do this for the people. Again, just because we remember it. And I know uh, I know you're talking out loud for the first time. Eddie Diatri's laying in bed. I was told... He was such a firefighter. He slept with a radio next to him and he got woken. The tower got hit. Now, if you know anything about Staten Island, you got to take the Verrazano Narrows Bridge and then you got to drive across busy Brooklyn. Then you got to go through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. And he did. This is, I, I don't want to be angry we all know about Afghanistan, the 20-year sweep, all that. I'm gonna go away this weekend and, and I'm just gonna remember you and them. The, if there was a good part to any of it, it's that enduring human spirit, real people. And I I'm glad to know you, brother. I know that when there's when there's men like you out there, there's nothing to be afraid of.
2: It's, um, 20 years, Charlie, it's, it's opened a lot of eyes. It's, I hope younger people remember, um,
0: tell them why they should, cause they don't,
2: they should be remembered. I mean, this is the whole world got put on its knees that day. The whole world, not just America, the whole world got put on its knees. And if we didn't stand up then we wouldn't be here today because it wasn't ending and um, unfortunately, it, it cost a lot, a lot of lives, a lot of civilian people. And I mean, that's, the, the people don't realize the civilian people who were coming down those stairs, they stopped and helped other people. Now, if you'd have ran down the stairs right when the plane got hit, you'd have probably been out, but they helped people they met on the stairs, they walked them down. I mean, there was an awful lot of heroes that day. There was an awful lot of heroes. The, the heroes were that day. After that, the rest of us were doing a job, but the heroes were that day. I mean, these people could have got out and they stopped. They helped their friends. They helped people they didn't know. They walked people down the stairs. And it happened outside too. It's, it's, it, it unfortunately, it took that to bring America together. And, and I remember after the trade center, like crime dropped in New York it just it, it was it, it was a showstopper it just made people stop and think it was the weirdest feeling uh
0: right huh, my brother uh mark here he wants he wants to ask you something
1: well first off i want to thank you because it's you know to echo what charlie said the world's a better place because you're in it and everything that you've done not only new york but iraq uh, but regarding never forgetting um there's a lot of uh, people that have long-term health problems how are you physically um mentally you seem to be there but physically and mentally how are you doing now
2: and um, it medically i've i've uh i ended up i ended up with some cancer on my nose um they had to i ended up with 28 stitches it uh worked through it actually by the time we got to it they had to drill it out it was the size of my my pinky um, so they had to stitch that up. That left me. It looked like Mike Tyson had his, uh, had me for a couple of rounds, but I got over that. Um, thank God. Sinuses, very, very bad sinus issues. It's, um, I wake up every day and I feel like I'm drunk. I feel like I've been drinking the night before without drinking. So I don't get the benefit of it, but I get the hangover of it and, uh, pounding headaches. I had one headache this during the summer that it was six weeks long. It lasted for six weeks, pounding headaches. They did the operation, but it didn't work for my sinuses. And uh, like it's funny now, and at any second now, you can see my eyes start running. I ended up getting allergies from this too, so this kicked in later on. Developed uh, a latex allergy too. I'm not sure what brought that on, but that leaves me leaves me with burns if I wear anything rubber or polyester that type of thing. And then I have issues. I have Barrett's um, and GERD. So I keep that with medication. I keep that under control. So I'm on a, a couple of different medications.
0: So this, uh, shit, this shit's going to kill you. Sorry, and naked I- and true at some point. Not today. God, God forbid, 30 years. Oh, I'll take... The, if, if you're giving me
2: 30 years, it's... Um, well, there's a funny story. There was an explosion in New York, uh, Second Avenue, a building collapsed, And um, I was at the building and this older man in his 70s came by and he says to me, I, w- I was here when the building came down. He said, they're saying there's uh, asbestos in it. Do you think I should go get tested? I said, well, how old are you? And they go, 72. I said, well, asbestos uh, asbestosis takes about 30 years. I said, so you'll be 102 when they diagnose you with this. So I said, it's your choice if you want to go ahead with that.
0: Can I, I want to ask you something personal. Okay. Sure. A lot of those days we spent together, me plastering your innermost, trying to draw your innermost feelings out in the most horrible experience imaginable. And that last time that we talked at that coffee shop, did I offend you? Was that too, no. was that too much? We never talked no. after that. No, it, 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 no,
2: it was nothing to do with that. It, it was to do it, life had to go on. It had to, it had to go on. It, 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 it just filled like the whole hero thing in New York became too much. It became, and it, 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 it you can never live up to, to this. And it was just time for me personally to move on. Um, and and I, I know if you remember, it was um I didn't want to talk early. It was Marion Fontana, Dave's wife, who had asked me to speak because Dave and I we were we were good friends, and um, we had a lot of fun together. And when Marion asked me, I remember she she saying to talk because I was pretty quiet. I, I wasn't saying much at the time, and I did. And um, but then no, I was no, wasn't offended. No, it was just time that that I moved on to the next stage, and I did, and well, ended up where I am,
0: brother. Uh, imagine, I'm just a pussy with a pen. You know, I'm a pussy with a pen, I'm not some swashbuckling paratrooper, but. I knew what my mission was back then. It was to write it down. I just knew that it would be. Have, have you looked at what I wrote about you in any of these years that have passed?
2: Do you remember that?
0: I do, brother.
2: There you go. And um, I had a copy and somebody picked it up, read it and gave me another copy. They read it. They didn't know um, I'd been in it. And I'll tell you something. You, You say that with a pen, that's not true. If you didn't write this, I wouldn't remember this. I can remember day one, but day three could have been day 15. Day 15 could have been day 30. You can't remember it. And if I didn't have the skill or the ability to write it down like you did, so now I can read it and remember, like, wow, uh, I remember that. And so this I can pass on to my kids. They can pass on to their kids. And the way I, I remember and and I remember World War II was the big thing, uh, Pearl Harbor. I mean, I was in awe um, of anyone who'd been there or had witnessed that. But those guys didn't write things down. This is written down. So hopefully my kids, they'll learn a little bit, which they know but their kids. And they can pass that on. So, that I appreciate you doing that.
1: Uh, you kind of circumvented. You you reminded me of me a second ago. When people ask me, how am I doing? I, I answer completely different, and I never ask. I never answer that question. So, you told us your physical implications of this. You seem to have a very positive outlook, which I think is, to me, the takeaway from this. You know, if not recalling the situation, I mean, the lessons that you're sharing here are something we can all... Learn from just getting through everyday challenges. But how are you doing emotionally, um, after this? And what would you say? Or are you doing anything to document just that, 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 uh, life lesson that we could all take from this and, and how to get through every day? You said life must go on. I mean, we've all encountered challenges that pale in comparison to yours, but how are you doing? We never answered that. Um, oh, I'm doing
2: psychologically i think i do good i really do um but my wife and i sharon she um we're not ones to dwell don't get me wrong i have my days i have my days um then i turn around and you go you know what my friends died 20 years ago i didn't was i given 20 extra years If you watch the movie um saving private ryan was i a good man did i do good things and i like to think i did um, my penance was going to Iraq. I believe I owed the guys that. So I went to Iraq. I said, you know, they can give up their life. I can give up a year in Iraq. And thank God I got home. I got home safe. Um, I went on. I again, my son joined the military. He's done a couple of tours in Afghanistan. So your worry changes from you to him. My daughters, one's a nurse, one's a teacher in New York. So you have to make sure that they move on. It's, You can dwell on it and make it your whole life or you can move on. And I always try to move on to a different challenge. Of course, leaving the fire department was tough because that sort of was an era that ended. So when I left the fire department, again, you miss the guys, you miss the fun. So I moved on and I went to a different challenge. I moved to Gettysburg, um, Pennsylvania here. I was always interested in military history. But when I came back from Iraq, I came here. My son wanted to visit Gettysburg. We came to visit, and I said to them, you know what? We're going to buy a little house here one day. We did. I came down here. I studied. I applied to be a town guide to learn about the people of the town. Studied for that. Spent all last year studying for that. Passed the test, and that's a new challenge. So I think I just go from thing to thing. I like to be busy, uh, and I think a lot of that is... That's you say how I'm doing? I think that helps me through. Um, that, brother.
0: I, I the clan that you've raised, the offshoot of you, a warrior, a teacher, a nurse, you fucking Irishman. <laughs> speaking of Gettysburg, when I went to Gettysburg on my way to watch Obama be inaugurated, I stopped. I looked at the Michigan contingent because my forebearers fought in that war. So don't fly that Dixie up here, motherfuckers. But within that, the headstones of the Michigan t- contingent was one Captain Peter Generous, the aptly named Captain Peter Generous, who gave up his life so this great human experience called the United States could continue. And you're in that long line of Americans, you Irishmen, and to you on the 20th anniversary we raised this irish whiskey brother and well glad, thank you i'm glad to be back with you i, f- I feel like my strange brother came home <laughs> and are you going to new york cuz i know you haven't, you haven't you don't go to these high school reunions are you going this time
2: Cheers. i am i am i am going this time i haven't gone for years um it became too much of a dog and pony show and um so i stepped back but Squad One reached out to those of us that are still around and said, "Listen, we're going to try and get everybody together for the 20-year reunion." So I'll go to Squad One. Um, I'll have my family with me—my wife, my daughters—on uh, Saturday, and then we'll head into Rescue One, and we'll be there for the day and just be with those who are there. And it's just like you know—you talk to a soldier, you talk to guys in farming. You don't have to say anything. You can just sit there all day and be quiet. And it's okay. They know, yeah. so we'll do that on uh, on on Saturday.
0: Okay, man. Um, shit, I'm gonna call you tonight if that's okay. Absolutely. That to full disclosure, we, we spoke for those four hours. That was I, I, now fuck everybody else. I, I love you, man. I, um, I'm 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 gl- you look better. You're actually more <laughs> handsome than you were when you were young and healthy. You look like fucking Sean Connery. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does.
2: Perhaps you'd like to dance with me. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, look, I got uh, a, a second part of the film. I, I hope you'll stay. And and listen, I I actually haven't really viewed him. I just sat for him. But... uh the second half of the program, the second film, is is brought to you by um, uh, Strong Hearts Native Helpline. That's look if if you're native and you're hurting, you are having domestic problems, you're down. You know, you call one eight four four seven Native. Uh, it's close to me. My people are involved on the board here. And again, as I've said, you don't have to be native. They they're okay with me saying that. It's just native people letting you know their people and if you need help reach out also Sean, you're going to need this your medicare guide you know as soon as you get on medicare how how's your um medical pension you still got one in new york yes we we
2: um we have well the, all the my medical problems are covered by the trade center
0: right but and, but when you retire as a guy not from the trade center do you get health care
2: yes yeah we get our, our health Coverage continues
0: on. Do you know months. that D- Detroit doesn't get that anymore? I Can you believe Lose they you. did that post 9-11? Can you believe this. that? I'm sorry. I won't. I, I don't want to get political, but that's a fact. And so for all you retired Detroit firefighters, if you're getting close to the age where you don't have to work at Walmarts anymore just to make your medical and you don't know what to do, go to your yourmedicareguide.com. That's how I'm going to do, Medicare Guide. You understand. And of course this is brought to you also by the working people because Sean, you're a working person. Is that correct?
2: Yep. Once any- upon a time I'm retired now, but once <laughs> upon a time I wasn't working. Man. Well,
0: well you, it's not working, walking around in khaki and green, you know, patting around with tourists saying, you know, that's where general Custer <laughs> made a stupid chart. Custer was a dope. Everybody knows. Custer, uh,
2: But he was here. And then, and, and, um, he was here and it's funny because and, and, you and I, could we could go to blows on this one now because uh, <laughs> Custer fought here and he a guy named Miles Kyo and um, guess where Miles Kyo ended up, a guy from Ireland, he ended up with Custer at the last stand. It, it didn't come out good for him.
0: You know what's funny is here in Michigan, Custer married a woman from Monroe, Michigan, right? So there's a big statue of Custer and the guy that lives in George Custer's old home portrays George Custer in reenactments and actually believes that he is George Custer reincarnated. So imagine how lucky this dude is that yeah. he could go through all the old college moves. <laughs> I mean, how lucky? Unbelievable. It's wild. But anyway, it's the Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers are local too. If you're looking for a career, call them. Sign in bonus the whole nine. You know that. You all understand. Not the heavy pitch today. Go to bricklayers.org and follow the instructions. Okay. This is my recollections part two. Sean, stay with us, man. I love you, brother. Stay with me. Get my back. Get my back. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I covered that hole. The whole year for the New York Times. I felt that was my contribution to society, that our grandchildren might want to know who we are. And at that moment, people wanted to know what was happening. We were looking for those firefighters, weren't we? And the police. I just came of age. Then I knew what human beings are capable of. Then I profoundly understood what hate was and despair. And hope. I would go in and out of that hole. I, I was at 40 firemen's funerals if it was one. I chronicled the firehouse. I remember people were lashing out like Sikhs, you know, Sikhs aren't Muslims. Sikhs are an old relig- their own religious sect from India. And it was a kid, he got in some fight. I went to interview him because I had to and he had taken off his turban and cut his hair which is really religiously important to the Sikhs and he did it because he didn't want to be seen as a Muslim so he changed himself and he said to me bro nobody hates Muslims more than us and I said that ain't gonna get us where we need to go I said the murders only just begun we got to stop. It's important because it's, it's the beginning of, of the modern way of life. Your own government spies on you, ID every place. I can't get to Canada. They accomplished what they wanted to accomplish by flying those jets into those towers. Big Brother's all over you now. The world's at war with itself. That's the beginning. Don't forget, never forget. Never forget the very substantial people that ran in there. Something that tall, it's on fire, only to have a collapse on them. There was a fireman from Squad One in Brooklyn. He slept with a radio. He got up in Staten Island, took the Barrazzano Bridge, took the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, and ran up into that building in time to meet his death. He deserves to be remembered. Life goes on. How were people feeling together? At least New York was. And I'm told America was. And everybody's flying the flags. Remember? Everybody's a brother. Remember? There ain't no black, there ain't no white, there ain't no brown, there ain't no rich, there ain't no poor because, you know, look, we don't have to be the strongest, but you know we're tough, right? Don't tread on me kind of thing. And everybody's flying the flags, and then it was uh, getting near the winter, and it's the Brooklyn Queen Expressway. It's elevated, it's up on stilts, and I'm heading down downtown Brooklyn for whatever reason in my car from Queens, and it's a traffic jam, and there's a flag laying in the middle of rush hour. I put it in park, and I got out, and that flag was laying in the middle of the expressway I got out and I got it that's this flag right here same flag it's been in my car every day since every day a little worse for the wear, but I looked it up last night that one one two three one two that one right there is Michigan My home in the USA, right there that one, 26th. Right smack in the middle. And that's who went over, that's who we sent. All the dudes from the middle, because that's who does all the work. If we forget, our, our kids are gonna do it. Just like we forgot, we forgot all about World War II. We forgot about Vietnam. We forgot every time you launch a boat, something's launched back at you. If you're going to send people, have a plan, have a reason. Because it's my people that go. If I could tell people and they would actually listen, I, you have to stick to your convictions. But the strong can, can, can move if they're shown that it's not correct. That hate begets hate. The world's getting smaller, we're going to have to share. That remember, we have more in common than we feel, that we're getting stirred up for somebody else's gain, some political gain. They used mass murder to convince us to go do the same. Now everybody's hurt, everybody's broke, and we're no better off than we were. Try to love one another, and if you can't do that, to a compromise don't let them lead you around everybody's just as important as everybody else that's why I'll never forget them not the firefighters not the executive assistants not the bond brokers not umberto the nameless everybody do we ever improve is anything ever learned from it Doesn't every generation say never again? Isn't that why we should remember? So maybe really there is a never again? That was a massacre. That was a homicide scene. And we returned the favor. I don't know. I did my best. I tried to write down who we were. I hope tomorrow you'll look for it. Or your children will look for it, or your grandchildren. I left a record. That's the greatest contribution I made. I don't think it was enough. Well, that was self-aggrandizing, wasn't it? <laughs> ah, fuck it. What, a, Sean, brother? Um, let me leave you with the last word. Give give us something, would you, bro? Well, I'll I'll show you something
2: that I I put in my pocket at the trade center, and uh, and it it it's here. If you can tell me if you can see what that is, Charlie.
0: Describe it if for us.
2: Can. It's here on my hand. It's a bunch of bullets that are melted together. I'm not sure if I'm showing it correctly there on the camera, where you can see them.
0: It's okay. Some people are just listening. It looks like a bunch of Big shells all melted together.
2: Just melted together. And little did we realize that the Trade Center was going to lead us into 20 years of bullets and lead all mixed together. That uh, unfortunately ended last week or this week. But now, about we leave it at that.
0: Okay. Never forget. Never forget. I love you, man. Gary, take us out, please.